Hello and welcome to LOP on YouTube or Wrestling Headlines and on Spreaker, on whatever, on the Laws of Pain, thing like that. I'm feeling not quite right. <laughs> uh, I'm assuming it's something to do with doing Laws of Pain Radio Aftershock uh, and also there's been building work happening around the house. So I've been helping out with that and I am knackered. Just I feel so tired. <laughs> it's so dopey. Uh, none of you care anyway. But this is the... Uh, the final guest speaker episode that I'll be doing here for Laws of Pain Radio, moving to Red Circle. So this is also the final live show I'll be doing. But the show will be releasing at the exact same time every week anyway. So is there really much of a difference? <laughs> you won't be able to click the, uh, the, a thing to interact with me immediately. Well, on Spreaker specifically, I'll still be going live on YouTube. But uh, this week has presented some problems, so I'm not going live on YouTube Really, I was a bit nervous my computer wouldn't even run, so hope it's running. I'm able to record, so there's no fear there. Thank God for that. But just going live in the speaker version as well, which is a much more relaxed kind of audience. Uh, like, there's a lower view account as well, which kind of helps. It's just nice and relaxed. I've got no nervousness about this. And I'm planning to edit it down into, like, a YouTube video tomorrow, which I can then put up. Uh, but there's no kind of nervousness about this. But we're going to have a nice little relaxed show, because I was thinking earlier today, what could I possibly talk about this week? There's not really massive amounts. I could bang on about the numbers falling as well, which is a story being talked about every single week, and there's multiple reasons being thrown out about it. I could talk about the, the more releases announced uh, from NXT. I could talk about how much we know enjoying AEW, but nobody listens to those shows. <laughs> so WWE is. Uh, and we've got Dynamite anyway, which already covers it, so uh, I don't want to repeat too much of what's come the day before me. So instead, I'm going to be talking about the title of this show, <laughs> which, yeah, proof number one that I'm knackered. So to, this is, so my name is Matt Mayer, aka Imp, you can follow me on Twitter, at the damn Impacat, and this is the list of WWE's greatest matches ever that were actually just alright. Uh, matches hyped by WWE as classics, as show stealers before the event and often after, that in reality were just fine. Uh, not including WrestleMania attraction matches or those of the ilk, uh, like Saudi Arabia specials, celebrity influenced, or those matches that rose to the atmosphere or went down as history as a defining moment, even if they didn't steal all of the stars. Of all which... To be fair, pretty much just rules out most of the Hogan era apart from one. Also, I don't want to include the likes of matches that were just... The matches which hit the right notes for the kind of match they were going for. Or matches where there's a difference... Where fans have perceived them as bad. Or or fans have perceived them in a certain way. And then the WWE narrative does also go that direction. So it does go down as bad. Which... Eliminate Brock Lesnar versus Goldberg <laughs> in that one where they built it up for the event and then the event happened and very quickly the fan perception became reality in WWE's world. So that one doesn't count either. So we'll be going through them. Uh, 
the thing I realised doing this, because a lot of it relies on WWE overhyping or overselling something, and then what actually gets delivered is, uh, but sometimes the occasion can mean that never really mattered anyway, and sometimes it means no, this match did have to deliver, and it was fine, I guess, and then afterwards WWE kind of, uh, it goes down in their history as something where it did deliver. Even when perception was, oh, it's, I mean, it wasn't bad, <laughs> but to call it a classic. Also, it has to be a stronger consensus as well. I can't just pick a random match that I was kind of like, oh, don't feel it. Like, for, for a couple of them, did you even remember these matches existed? So the thing I've realised, well, is there are a lot of matches that fit into this boat. And a lot of, the, there will still be an opinion in there as well. It's the kind of wrestling that I like. I very nearly, for example, put on the, ECW Monster Battle Royal before me suddenly realising like I remember at the time they were really hyping it but I think it's fair to say it did not go down as a classic in like any world <laughs> so there's really not any point in including that at all so yeah just scratch that out but I have got eight on this list which I'm going to be uh, going through and talking about in a, some form of detail uh, don't forget to uh, again, follow me on Twitter at the Damien Paquette. Read my columns on Lots of Pain before I get into all of this. Uh, also, if you're listening on the uh, LOP YouTube, then please do subscribe and like. I think just any interaction. To be fair, I don't think it matters if it's a like or a dislike. Or again, there's a cool video or video suck. I've got to stop giving out those <laughs> those uh, examples of. Um, so yeah, really, just any kind of interaction the thing because I've I have accidentally generated. <laughs> a run of comments that had nothing <laughs> so well done me anyway so getting on to it with uh, the first match because I might as well bash this one out of the way as I introduced it a little bit earlier where I said uh, pretty much rules out most of the Hogan era apart from my first pick of this one where it's number one Sergeant Slaughter versus Hulk Hogan Wrestlemania 7 from 1991 uh, this is the only one that I'll slander the only Hogan Mania main event where something just doesn't feel quite right outside of WrestleMania 9. But that's, is that, that wasn't really the hyped and announced main event. Hashtag never forget. But it was built up as this massive conquering of evil by Hulk Hogan. This man, in, this evil man in Sergeant Slaughter who had joined the enemy. He'd aligned with the enemy and he was flying their flag instead of the American flag. And the American flag is the flag of heroes. <laughs> it's the flag of humanity uh, and whatever. Obviously, I am British and we aren't really patriotic at all. We don't really get patriotism. It's more, it's more like how dare you insult my child but I can insult my child. <laughs> you can't insult my child. That's the closest we get to patriotism. So they're waving the flag and fighting for the rights of every man. <laughs> We're not really a nation that does that. So uh, for me, this jumps out a little bit more as this is really the core of the storyline here. But it was built up as Hulk Hogan conquering this massive evil and kind of expecting a similar reaction to past WrestleManias where they done a very similar thing where Hulk Hogan fought and battled against the evil foe, oftentimes either just big lad or foreign lad, and he would do it, he'd do it for America. And they put his face on Mount Rushmore. My God, WrestleMania 2, amazing opening for WrestleMania 2, where they show the founding fathers and American heroes, and then they show Hulk Hogan. Uh, and they're still trying to f fly off of that, at the same thing here at WrestleMania 7. And then the match happens. And I'm watching it going back because this aired in 1991. I was born in 1992. Didn't start watching wrestling till 2005. 
So a bit of a gap. I'm watching this from a future perspective. But watching it, that that crowd reaction that was there in past years, it's just not there for this match, very evidently. Uh, they, which means to me they did a good job for WrestleMania 8 where they brought stuff. Where they were able to kind of bring back that whole communio kind of feeling for that main event. Maybe it helped that the rest of the card kind of shone as well in their different areas. But WrestleMania 7 may, may be down to just the way everything went. And the, the, the tickets weren't particularly great either was the other story from it. You had to move to a smaller building. They played it up. Oh, it's because Sergeant Saul has received so many death threats that we've had to change arenas. Totally, absolutely nothing to do with the fact that we just weren't selling tickets and had to move to a smaller area to like, because we were forced to by the stadium or whatever. It's been a long time. I can't quite remember <laughs> when, when everything happened. Anyway, so Sergeant Slaughter and Hulk Hogan had a fine match. And again, the reception to this one was arguably the weakest of the Hogan, Hogan Mania season main events. This was arguably the weakest reaction out of all of them. He wins... But there isn't that same oomph to it. He defeats the evil foreigner. They did that massive storyline and Hulk Hogan did it again for America, for every man. But there wasn't really much of a massive cheer for him doing so. Which kind of gives a little bit of a... It's a sign of the changing times or that the times maybe needed to change. Uh, And uh, come the next year, you've suddenly got a macho man... Ric Flair, uh, Bret Hart and uh, Roddy Piper in significant matches on the card, as well as Hogan. Yes, he's the main event, but there are other massively built matches uh, which are able to battle the spotlight. Because he had, he had um, Match of Man versus Ultimate Warrior, but there was that little bit extra at eight, <laughs> where it really felt like an equal main event type of thing. So, WrestleMania 7. And also afterwards... Talked about as Hulk Hogan defeating this evil conqueror Sergeant Slaughter, and like how hated Sergeant Slaughter was, and how uh, popular and active it was for Hulk Hogan to slay him. He actually watched WrestleMania Seven. That doesn't quite translate to that same level of this is a classic. But anyway, that's the only one I'm going to slander. <laughs> like, there are people who will like that one. So this is my arguably my weakest of all of the choices. So. Number two, let's jump a little bit further into the future. Uh, I don't want to fly through these too quickly. <laughs> Number two, uh, John Cena versus Batista at Over the Limit 2010. Who remembers this classic? <laughs> uh, it's at the same show we saw the very pairing that inspired this list. Uh, with, uh, well, if you've not seen me on Twitter or ever, the thing that's inspired, or if you're not looking at the picture that is aiding, that is alongside this show. The picture of Charlie Caruso, Edge and Randy Orton, where Edge and Randy Orton book their match essentially for Backlash. And Charlie Caruso then pops up and just says, uh, well, if this, this does go ahead, then this will be the greatest match in WWE history. What will be the most epic match in WWE history or something like that? <laughs> and that's where it ends. It's like Caruso out of nowhere. <laughs> just like, ah, right, so it's just declared that this will be an epic match, this will be amazing, this will be fantastic. They're setting themselves up to fail (laughs) in immediately billing it as an epic before it's happened. They are deeming it as an epic before the fans can regard it as so. Uh, So, yeah. So, Over the Limit 2010 is the same show where we saw the very pairing that inspired this list, uh, Edge versus Randy Orton, in the memorable bout where Randy banged his fists on the mat a little bit too hard and dislocated a shoulder. 
Uh, oh, how I remember almost nothing about this show. <laughs> like asking me uh, what happened at WWE Stomping Grounds this past summer in a couple years' time. Actually, scratch that. I couldn't tell you now. <laughs> I remember the poster. It's the foot. Stomping Grounds logo was a foot because it was stomping on the ground. And Roman Reigns is there punching his fist into the ground because he's like doing the I'm Roman Reigns, dog. Or dog. D-A-W-G. Yeah, uh... I can't tell you anything about that pay view, and I am getting wildly distracted. John Cena vs. Batista, Over the Limit 2010. It is an I Quit match. I remember one thing from this match, because this is an odd one, where the match itself, eh, da, da, but the action afterwards, what Batista did on the following Raw, somewhat elevates the presence of this one when it was just fine, <laughs> I guess. It was, I remember at the time, like, the like before Raw had aired, I remember the consensus online was, I mean, it was all right. There was particularly going mental about it. It was like, yeah, it was fine, I guess. It was a John Cena main event, maybe one of the weaker of the John Cena-Batista rivalry that played out that year. And because really this rivalry overall is perfect for this list. Where WWE so desperately wanted this to be an epic rivalry and for some reason or another, it never broke that barrier. I personally... Loved Batista's character at this time. I was really into his character, but for some... I don't know what it was. For some reason, the matches, they just never went past a certain level. And they never really made it into that epic, classic area. However, John Cena vs. Batista, over the limit. Because the very next night on Raw is where Batista is in his wheelchair. And he shouts that he quits. An incredibly memorable moment, an incredibly well done segment from Batista. He was amazing <laughs> in that segment. It's like quitting on a high, which obviously for me as a massive uh, heel Batista fan, I yeah, I, I was sad when he actually left because I thought he was fantastic <laughs> in that role. But again, the match itself, one thing I remember is John Cena taping Batista's legs, and that's how he won. Like, if I might, he's round the ring post and he's like flopping like a fish trying to get up, and that's. It's like, ended in embarrassing fashion. Like, uh, <laughs> fine, <laughs> okay. Uh, but, just like the rest of the show, kind of unmemorable, but built up beforehand as an epic confrontation. What will happen in an I Quit match between John Cena and Batista? They they use duct tape. Or was it Last Man Standing? I'm such an idiot. I said I quit, but it's Last Man Standing, isn't it? What a dumpty. Yeah, he's flopping like a fish fry. Get up. Why would you say I quit? <laughs> it's Last Man Standing. Uh, yeah, so who remembers that Last Man Standing classic? <laughs> Again, I remember Batista's ta- ankles taped around the ring post, but that's it. I don't. And Randy Orton bashing his fists onto the mat. I remember nothing from this three hour pay per view, apart <laughs> from those two things. <laughs> Which, in terms of John Cena Batista over the limit, ah. Oh, surely I should remember something, given this was like the final match. Of that rivalry. But no, nothing. Ah. The only thing which kind of keeps this lower down the list is the fact that John Cena... This John Cena-Batista kind of rivalry, the only one that's really ever referred to is the WrestleMania match. Like, you wouldn't really know they continued feuding for months afterwards. But really, the kind of peak point referred to from history is their WrestleMania match for the title. And the subsequent matches kind of just get left a little bit. Uh, they've played the I Quit video as well. Because I guess it's so good. His his work on Raw was fantastic. But come the pay-per-view... However, next is one where it's undoubtedly... <laughs> undoubtedly nothing... Uh, 
So, if anybody remembers a certain debut in 2006, which shook the core of WWE SmackDown, uh, The Undertaker was beaten to a pulp by a debuting Great Carly, who... Oh, but previously he'd done some amazing work in Japan, but come Great Carly in WWE, he was seemingly a lot more beaten up and just couldn't. It wasn't as as aerial as he was like in Japan. There's at uh, least there's some Great Carly matches on New Japan World, which I would even recommend checking out just because of how interesting it is to see him move so much in a such more agile fashion. Like, so he actually was something <laughs> a lot more than he was in WWE. And for once, it wasn't because of, like, WWE hampering. Ugh. No, it was purely just because he was older and his body was more beaten down. And so he wasn't the same. I guess closer to Andre the Giant, where Andre the Giant at his athletic peak was not in WWF, but at his, like, most famous it was. Anyway, number three. Undertaker versus Great Carly, Judgment Day 2006. The match which was built up in... An, I remember at the time being insanely kind of in awe of the great Carly because the Undertaker was this massive man and of course to a like I think it was a uh, like a was I ever, how old was I in 2016 I, <laughs> I couldn't figure this out I would have been 13 so I'm still not that tall uh, I'd eventually reach six foot but I hadn't yet I hadn't yet I was still a growing child and I see the great I see uh, the Undertaker and he's massive. This, this Undertaker man is huge. And he's incredibly athletic. And of course in 2006 he's really growing in terms of like my perception of him. I was really into the Undertaker at this point in time. Then this person called the Great Carly debuts. He's just this absolutely massive man. And he mauls the Undertaker. Completely wipes him out. And he is put over as, like, who the hell is this monster that's come in and destroyed The Undertaker? The man with such a unique aura as it is. And, of course, it's just after WrestleMania where he's had a casket match with Mark Henry. And, of course, Undertaker on that stage gets that amazing presentation where, like, he's the awesome phenom. And then he's destroyed by this absolutely huge guy. And I was completely in awe, completely taken aback. It's like, oh, it's insane. Then I saw the great Carly wrestle. (laughs) <laughs> and oh my god <laughs> uh, in terms of a match being really built up at the time then it happened and it was fine I guess and then I watched Smackdown where I'd had a lot of my enthusiasm for it eliminated because I'd watched the match at Judgment Day in 2006 I watched the Smackdown and I remember seeing it talked about as this epic clashes <laughs> epic encounter and yeah yeah, yeah. I wasn't really... Because, of course, in one year's time, the great Carly is world champion. <laughs> and I lost my steam for him within... Well, after his first pay-per-view match. I don't think he had one at Backlash. After great Carly's first pay-per-view match, I was like, oh, right then. And I was so... They'd done such a good job on SmackDown for me, as a kid, seeing the great Carly destroy The Undertaker. I was completely taken aback. I was so into it. I was like, oh my god, I can't wait to see this, what The Undertaker either does to him after he destroyed him, or will the great colleague destroy The Undertaker and he has to get his determination back? Because like, even there, even back then, I understand, understood story, narrative, people having to come over hurdles, and at first you got to knock them back, you got to knock them down before they climb back up. I thought, is The Undertaker going to get knocked down? And then The Great colleague, and then I watched the pay-per-view, it's like, oh, it's, it's not very entertaining. <laughs> and that was that was me kind of not really analysing it that much because again I would have been 13 
I wasn't really going into too much kind of, uh, yeah, too much analysis of it. But I was kind of done with The Great Khali afterwards, and I tuned into SmackDown, and it's talked about as if it was the epic clash that I was hoping it would be. And I was like, but I watched the thing. It was free on Sky Sports. <laughs> I watched it, <laughs> and it wasn't that great. <laughs> that was the first time. That's why it's on this list. This is a personal one. I'm not going to lie. When I was trying to put this list together, I was realising there are so many, I'm going to have to put ones that I flat out remember the most had creating certain feelings. Undertaker, which is great, Carly, built up as this potential clash between giants. It's like, oh, yes, amazing. Then the match happened. I watched it. It was, it was two big lads doing big lad wrestling, but I didn't know that that wasn't going to be that exciting <laughs> at that point into my fandom. I was only like six months into my fandom at that point. And then um, SmackDown, it's touted as if it was this epic clash. And I was, I was just, for the first time as a fan, I was like, no, wait, I watched it. It, it wasn't. <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> the realisations had started. <laughs> just the clock kind of ticking in my head. Just like, no, I did watch this. And it definitely didn't play out like that. <laughs> so, uh, Undertaker versus Great Carly. It was one of the Great Carly's main main event kind of push matches. If anybody remembers that era, this was one of the matches. <laughs> there may be more to come on a future list. Uh, number four, uh, Randy Orton versus Triple H. No Mercy, 2007. Why the hell have I picked this match? <laughs> so, this is in Randy Orton's um, Hey, Nothing You Can Say uh, a title run and in 2007, where he's this young champion and he's uh, an absolute arse as a heel champion, and it's working. He He's opening so many shows as the champion where he does his long speech, but it's not quite reached legacy kind of length. It's, for me, I this is where, for me, Randy Orton was peak kind of heel before it started to get a little bit paint by numbers with WWE they were, they were inventive with Randy Orton's feud with this and I guess 2009 it reaches an absolute peak creative peak with uh, Jamie Noble's story again against Triple H personally that story it's a peak because it gets better and better this was a bit earlier on and Randy Orton versus Triple H was once again a last man standing match I get this was another one again where for some reason, No Mercy 2007 was free on Sky Sports. So I was able to watch this match. And I remember thinking it was it was fine. I was never really gripped by this match. Watching it again, if I was 13 in 2006, I would have been 14 watching this one. <laughs> Quick maths. <laughs> and it was a fine last man standing match. I didn't think anything major of it. I thought, oh, I mean, I've seen better matches this year. I've seen better stories that I cared more about. At the time, really into SmackDown. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it was awful, but yeah, it was fine. Then, at the end of the year, WWE, I don't know if it was a recurring thing, but for the final episode of the year, they do a countdown on the shows of, it'll be like the best matches in, uh, of, uh, the best pay-per-view matches of WWE this year that were air on Sky Sports. And number one for 2007 was this match on WWE's countdown for the best match of 2007 was Randy Orton versus Triple H. And I was just sitting there like, but the Money in the Bank match at WrestleMania, Undertaker versus Batista, like, Batista <laughs> was at that WrestleMania. <laughs> Wait. And Randy Orton versus Triple H was the match of the year. 
Young me was not having it. <laughs> Again, another wall broken. Another mirage. <laughs> just The mirror just smashed, or the window just smashed. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> Again, I was watching this year, and I get Randy on Triple H wasn't an awful match. But was it match of the year? <laughs> um, no, not not really. No, it was it was fine. Batista versus Undertaker. Oh, incredible! Like, even John Cena, Shawn Michaels. Me, I was never a massive John Cena fan, but even I could. I was like, yeah, that was that was bloody good. But Randy Orton Triple H won. <laughs> it's confused me so much. <laughs> and I've remembered to this day, 13 years later, so I can talk about it into a microphone. <laughs> Just saying, Randy Orton versus Triple H was regarded by WWE as their match of the year in a countdown that I watched on Sky Sports. And I was so confused. <laughs> I, was just, I was going through the list of matches in my head of what could it possibly be. And then it, this was revealed, and I was just so confused. <laughs> I was like, I mean, it was fine, but the match, I just assumed it wasn't going to be on the list. <laughs> it was number one. <laughs> so, uh, there you go. It's like try, like at the end of the Royal Rumble, or I guess the peak example would be uh, 2017. Was it 2018? Balls. 2017, the one where it's number 30. Like, who could it possibly be? Who could it possibly be? And then it's Roman Reigns, and like, oh... Oh, <laughs> right then. That's the closest I can relate the feeling of me watching that countdown on Sky Sports and No Mercy 2007, Randy Orton Triple H, Last Man Standing, is announced as match of the year. I got that feeling. The Roman Reigns number 30. It's <laughs> just like, what? <laughs> no. Oh, no. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, I can't. I, I don't. I, I remember that match. Because it was number one, and they would actually they played the match in full as well. That's the part of it. It was like a proper show countdown, and they did a really hyped thing as well. I think they did it over both Raw and SmackDown, if I remember rightly, unless it was just a two-parter or over two weeks or something. But yeah, best match of the year in two thousand and seven. Really, <laughs> really. <laughs> oh, I can say though, thirteen years later, I remember the match because of that. <laughs> it's. Uh, because yeah, the first match, I saw it so highly regarded. And I was just like, wait, what? Hmm. Uh, next, I'm going to do a three-year jump. There were matches in, 2007, in 2008, 9, and I guess the other parts of 10. I even had a different match from 2010 on this list before taking it off. Uh, I've already said one in Over the Limit. 2010 was an interesting year. <laughs> Definitely a shift happening. But I'm jumping to 2010 because I want to keep this list short. 26 minutes in. And there's a reason I've only got eight. I'm only on number five. Triple H, back again. This is not the last time you'll see him either. He's got a kind of repetition here. Uh, Triple H versus Sheamus. WrestleMania 26, 2010. This one is a little bit of an interesting one for me because when I was watching it at the time, I remember thinking, it's mixed emotions. This was the first time where, like, in the moment... I've, the commentators were putting it over like it was an epic encounter. Like it was this WrestleMania classic. This was the first time I would watch, and or at least taken in that WWE were doing it, where during a match at WrestleMania, they were immediately talking about the fact that it was a classic. That this was a WrestleMania... Well, we didn't say WrestleMania moment back then, but yeah, a WrestleMania classic. They were talking about that kind of like during the final parts of the match and then immediately afterwards where they're kind of just like, oh, oh, we've just seen a classic here, guys. <laughs> but, you know, as a commentator, actually, 
emphasising words, <laughs> unlike me. But but they were doing that for this match, talking about it being a WrestleMania classic, being Triple H and Sheamus, because they were so desperate for Sheamus to kind of happen. And the angle they did that might have helped set this up, they did it the day after WrestleMania, where Sheamus attacked Triple H, and that got him like the mega heat that he probably needed for this match before it. Anyway, <laughs> Sheamus versus Triple H, again, not a bad match. But a WrestleMania classic, uh, especially on 2010, when there's certain matches just a little bit higher. Like, come on, Bret Hart, Vince McMahon. <laughs> just like, oh, come on. Like, Undertaker, Shawn Michaels happened on this show. And the fact they were talking about Triple H, Sheamus, as this, they had a WrestleMania classic, and the next day, Sheamus shows no respect and just almost murders the man on Monday Night Raw. Uh, like, no, <laughs> the WrestleMania Classic that night was not Triple H versus Sheamus, and you could, you could tell almost immediately. It's another one again that hit home, probably because I was watching it happen in real time where it was being declared a classic. It hadn't even finished yet, and it was being declared a classic. And then it finished, and they were continuing to do it, talking on commentary about how this, what an amazing match this was. Matt Stryker doing his best job to really oversell it. And I'm just sitting there like, I mean, I enjoyed it. <laughs> I didn't think it was awful, but calm down, lads. <laughs> like, it was fine. It was enjoyable enough. So, yes, I thought Triple H Sheamus was a little bit oversold in the moment. And it's easily a match that was touted as a greatest WrestleMania match. Like, it was such a WrestleMania classic. But it was just all right. <laughs> it was fine. So, yeah, the fans were into it. Again, it wasn't a bad match. It just wasn't, you know, the greatest match ever. <laughs> it was fine. Uh, so, yeah, there's that. Uh, number six, jumping ahead one more year. Again, WWE are starting to enter interesting times. The rumblings are there, but there's enough kind of happening around that you don't kind of lose faith. Uh, at the WrestleMania, not really decided, not really the best or worst thing in the world. Uh, John Cena versus The Miz, the main event of WrestleMania 27 in 2011. This is one where going into it was like the massive build with The Rock and then it's, it kind of gets lost in the shuffle because of The the Rock and John Cena because of that feud. This was the WrestleMania that set it up. WrestleMania 28 and 29 would do gangbusters, would do amazing numbers. They used this match to then set up John Cena versus The Rock in one year's time. Like, with a one-year build in WWE, that's mental. That's insane. That doesn't happen. They're not New Japan. <laughs> they don't do this. That's crazy. But John Cena versus The Miz, they then used that to kind of, if I'm right, they led into the next pay-per-view and The Miz lost the championship there. But they used the WrestleMania main event to kind of build to that. And obviously, you hype it up. And again, this is another example. I'm starting to cut on now. <laughs> Things are happening. And I'm again, it's a... Wait, wait a minute. I watched this match. And it is now being kind of touted as like a main event thing where John Cena and The Miz like really delivered. And now I'm going to go at it again. I think there were other people in this match. I want to say it was a... Was it the Fatal 4-Way pay-per-view? Immediately after WrestleMania. I'm going to search this. Because I suddenly... I'm just like, wait a minute. Was it this? So I'm just going to have a look. The, if I can bloody find it, the uh, WrestleMania uh, 20 balls. What was it? Seven. WrestleMania 27. Go to Wikipedia, then you can jump to the next show. Oh, what was the next show? Extreme Rules. Oh, I've got the right colours. 
Oh, what was the main event match? What was the main event match? It was John Cena versus John Morrison. He, yeah, in Steel Cage. There we go. Got it right. And John Cena won. So, and if I'm right, that is the reign that went all the way to the next WrestleMania as well. Well, no, I'm an idiot. 2011. That's CM Punk. <laughs> oh, what am I talking about? Ugh. Anyway, let's <laughs> not go too crazy here. But yeah, John Cena versus The Miz kind of just get... I remember at the time just thinking it's being touted as this thing and it's being used to charge into the next pay-per-view. But it wasn't that great. And now, it's, especially if you go back and watch it now, it is fine, I guess. It's not crazy or anything. I relatively kind of just don't watch this pay-per-view. Relatively don't watch this pay-per-view. What am I talking about? <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a match which gets lost in history, but it's more of a footnote now. Which, in terms of like the... Uh, I guess the way this list works, this is, again, another one a little bit further down where it's got a personal attachment where, again, massive build and The Rock is there as well. The Miss is doing his like, the entire point of like what Miss is saying, I am the champion here and you're focused on The Rock. It's like it's a build for John Cena and The Rock, but it's not. It's John Cena versus The Miz. You are not ready for me. And The Miz wins at WrestleMania, so The Miz is proven right and then after WrestleMania, it's this big thing that The Miz is still champion and they use it to build to Extreme Rules, not Fatal 4 Way, to Extreme Rules. And then he immediately loses and kind of like reality hits. But that little period, like after WrestleMania going into Extreme Rules, it was just odd. Because again, I'd watched the match and it wasn't, uh, wasn't anything amazing. It was the first time I'd finished a WrestleMania. I didn't really have that much buzz going into Raw. Because this was just before you hit that period where like the night after WrestleMania, the Raw after WrestleMania is this amazing thing, this amazing show to attend. Over the next couple of years, it would really start to flourish. But it's not a thing yet. And then I remember just having no buzz for it. After WrestleMania, I thought it was crazy. <laughs> then the first WrestleMania I watched, I was a massive Rey Mysterio fan. So hearing that he'd won, I was going crazy. And that was the kind of feeling I was expecting after WrestleMania, just that buzz. And it just wasn't there in 2011. The match kind of stunk <laughs> and it's not a Wrestlemania I like to go back and rewatch like come Wrestlemania season I like to rewatch the shows but 27 is one that I um and ah about clicking play like do I or do I not so yeah in the time though I remember it being massively hyped and then I remember them kind of carrying it on for a bit to the next pay-per-view and again I'd watched it <laughs> and I was like I'm not a re- I'm not exactly hyped for Extreme Rules they could do your best job but I'm not particularly hyped, but it works as a footnote for John Cena versus The Rock. It's like they sold this pay-per-view down the river to have gangbuster sales for the next two. If you look at it as a trade-off, WrestleMania 27 did good attendance numbers and buy rates, but it didn't do anywhere near as good as 2829, which are like staple kind of levels. But I guess we'll go to WrestleMania 29 itself. I'm not going to go with John Cena versus The Rock. Because both of those matches, for me, they get a little bit disqualified because they rose to the atmosphere of the occasion, even if the matches themselves weren't like WrestleMania classics in the sense of stealing stars. They're WrestleMania classics in terms of like what they are and the atmosphere they generated in those arenas. Like, the actual quality of the matches didn't really matter that much. But on WrestleMania 29 was another match that went in with a lot of hype and was regarded as a really big deal by WWE afterwards. But I was bored out of my mind <laughs> watching the match. At number seven on my initial list, 
Uh, Triple H versus Brock Lesnar, WrestleMania 29 from 2013. My God, I thought this match was boring. <laughs> I was, I zoned out. I was just waiting. If I'm right, this is, I can't remember if it's before CM Punk Undertaker or if it's after Punk Undertaker, but that was the match I was looking forward to. And then there was the main event between The Rock John Cena. The Triple H Brock Lesnar had had a similar occasion, because I guess you could put the SummerSlam match, I guess, in a similar boat to this in a way. But I felt like the build for this one hyped it up way more than a SummerSlam one. They were both pretty generally hyped. But I just wasn't feeling the matches at all. SummerSlam I just didn't really care for. Uh, WrestleMania 20. And, but it, it was used to set up Triple H Brock Lesnar at that WrestleMania. And this is like really just before Brock Lesnar finds an amazing character. Which takes him into 2015. Like We're a year out from... 2014 Brock Lesnar he's not quite there yet like arguably Lesnar finds himself in his rival I guess against CM Punk that is where he finally has an amazing match <laughs> like truly how these matches were built he finally had one uh, John Cena to be fair his first one set a standard but both of his Triple H matches uh, they're fine they're fine uh, this, this match at Wrestlemania though my god it was long they were just Kept on going for ages. <laughs> uh, it's one of those where there's the false kickouts as well, the false finishes, and you just get a feeling that the crowd's just tired. Uh, obviously, me watching it, I'm having that feeling, so that doesn't help. I will put that on it, hundred <laughs> percent. But you got the you got the sledgehammers, you got your steel step spots, you've got your Brock Lesnar kicking out of things, and Triple H just shouting, like, "Stop kicking out! Stop kicking out!" But it, he's doing nothing that I haven't seen others kick out of, or he's not doing anything which is like really elevating and really shocking me when Lesnar kicks out. It's just like a run of the motions in a way of stuff I've seen before. He isn't really getting any emotion out of me at all. And then, if I'm right, Triple H just wins by destroying Brock Lesnar. If I'm right. And it was just a bit like, I guess it was fine. Didn't really care. And then it ended. <laughs> And I was just like, thank God that was over. And I was so tired. I remember I was at university at the time and I was watching it live. And I I was just so tired. <laughs> and of course, this is a university person where, like a, like all the A students, I was, like, I was up late multiple occasions doing my coursework like that night, the day before the deadline. Like, it's weird how in university that just happens. And, like, we created a Facebook group. We'd all talk to each other. So we we're all up together doing it. And it created, it created a nice unity within the class where everybody will be up in this situation, or at least majority of the class. I never did that before university. <laughs> Why was that a thing? Uh, and I was told it happens. I was like, why would I do that? That's stupid. And then I, it just happened. <laughs> and multiple people were doing it. Uh, but I was in that situation. And even I was knackered watching Triple H Brock Lesnar. Like I'd been in a world where I was getting used to being up late, like super late, going to uni with one hour sleep or something, if that. And Triple H Brock Lesnar did me in. <laughs> I was gone. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, for me, one of the most boring, extremely hyped matches that was then and one of the more after was like, oh, what, what, what an epic clash Triple H and Brock Lesnar had at WrestleMania. And again, I've had, by this point, I've had the feeling quite a bit. 2007... Was the first, well, 2006 was really the first time I ever got a feeling like it. But 2007 was definitely the first time where like, it was being treated as if it was to be really highly regarded. And I'm just like, well, uh, 
uh, fine. <laughs> and of course, it became famous of WWE's best matches list. It just didn't really fit with what the fans would say. It's become a lot more unified in the second half of the decade. But this first half, that was still a joke. That was still a thing. That WWE's match of the decade just didn't reflect what the fans, especially the internet fans, as they called at the time, just didn't really reflect it that much. But Triple H brought Lesnar. I was knackered after it. I didn't fall asleep, but I did start to miss bits. Let's <laughs> put it kindly. Uh, Paul Heyman was fine, though. He was shouting and getting red-faced. So, yeah. Yeah, Triple H, Brock Lesnar, talked about as an epic clash, uh, a rematch from the, the SummerSlam, then it happens, and it almost puts me to sleep. <laughs> and I stop paying attention, really, because it's just running through the motions, and I'm just waiting for it to finish. So, yeah. And then number eight, might as well stick with Brock Lesnar. This is, the, this is one where it's more universally regarded as just not being the epic clash that it was set up to be. A Brock Lesnar... Versus Roman Reigns, WrestleMania 34 in 2018, where there's a massive disconnect. This is where the massive Roman Reigns disconnect was at its peak, arguably. Where, because there was a, the story been going on for ages. And I remember thinking at the time, I remember talking about at the time, that all we needed to do was pass the torch to Roman Reigns. The story has been told, it's been built. Now we just need to let WWE have this one. Let them have Roman Reigns beat Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. Then we can move on and Roman Reigns can start having feuds with people this generation. Then we can get really hyped with that. Then it didn't happen. <laughs> and it was so confusing. And then that led into the first Saudi Arabia event. And it turns out, oh, that's why Brock Lesnar's champion. So they can go through there. And he retains there as well. And it goes all the way through to SummerSlam. Uh, so as a fan, it was like WWE had... I think the phrase I used at the time was that it was like they had stalled. And it was so confusing. It's like, well, what are they doing? Why didn't they pull the trigger? Did they just get nervous last second and decide not to give it him? Or was it a call for Saudi Arabia to have Brock Lesnar enter as champion? Either way, it was the fact. I remember at the time, the fans were just. A lot of fans were just like, let's give them this one. Let them have Roman Reigns in the main event. Because, of course, their match in 2015, in the main event of that WrestleMania at Silicon Valley, that was really good. (laughs) And it went down really well. Then, so even like, even if we hadn't enjoyed the build, even if the final role was just them holding the title, just staring at each other in a really weird way, unless we get this confused with 2015. But the 2015 WrestleMania, I thought that match was booked really, really well. This one just really wasn't at all. Uh, the fans turned on it, which is normally a sign, but I don't know if they would have turned anyway. The way the match went probably didn't help, but they... Turn on it pretty quickly, which is a bit, a bit, a bit like oh, at least give them a chance. I'm not even sure if they did that really. They were always going to turn after a certain amount of time, but the match itself just isn't that good. <laughs> it's not that good a match, and they do things to try and elevate it, but really it's not clicking that much. Like there's a reason I didn't put Roman Reigns Triple H on this list, and for me that is because even though I don't super enjoy the match. It did tick the boxes they were going for. And the way that it plays out is exactly how it had been built up to play out for the weeks going into it. So as a story, it works really, really well as that final point. Sending Roman Reigns on into the summer as champion. And he's defeated Triple H. And it's a, it's a nice little story. Even if I'm not a massive fan of the match itself. I think it's one that might go down a bit better with age. When of course the Roman Reigns kind of hate Erica dies down a little bit. It's not my favourite match in the world, but it's not anywhere near as bad as this one. 
where they seem to make every mistake to kind of play into the fans' hands a little bit. And the biggest one was not giving Reigns the championship. Uh, having him, I guess, bleed out <laughs> against Brock Lesnar. And, yeah, because at the time it was billed as this massive WrestleMania event, and Roman Reigns is getting booed, so that, that disconnect already. And he got him as the most polarising wrestler. And I remember in the, in this kind of era, I was a little bit down, purely because we'd just come off of that era of John Cena. Where John Cena was this polarising figure. And then when you move on to the next one, it's kind of like, well, surely I'm expecting this next one to... like They've learnt their lessons from John Cena, so they won't enter the state again. And they just completely muck it up, where John Cena seems like this Jesus <laughs> kind of person who has since ascended <laughs> to his rightful place upon the throne. And, yeah, it was just pretty bad, the way that they mucked it up. But for me, this is the peak point. They could have maybe WrestleMania Silicon Valley this, where they had, or WrestleMania play button, where even though fans weren't super into Roman Reigns at the point, it was getting booed at the building. What helped was Brock Lesnar was at his popularity peak back then, and they played off of that. And then Seth Rollins was a genius piece of booking that ended the night on such a high. But Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns itself, the match was good. But this one just wasn't. It wasn't right. It wasn't what the crowd were wanting. And they played against them throughout the match, and it went on for a little while. It wasn't like it wasn't. It wasn't Triple H, Brock Lesnar. Let's say that. <laughs> just to, in terms of like a quality jump, I was more into this match, Triple H, Brock Lesnar, but more because there was that, that directed feeling of oh god no. Then Roman Reigns loses, and again the fan perception at that time was well, let's give them this one. They can have this one. I've been trying to tell this story for years. Let's just let them have it. Roman Reigns can win at WrestleMania. Then he didn't win. And the most confusing part was the story they'd been telling for God knows how long was the story of Roman Reigns beating Brock Lesnar. Then he didn't. It's kind of like, well, what was that all for then? And in terms of like the creative afterwards, it was, again, billed as the epic blood, because it used the blood as well, which kind of adds the epicness it's meant to. And it went, the WWE touting it as in a bloody epic clash between Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns. But creatively, after that, it felt like they'd stalled. And still, for the entire summer, the gear, they couldn't shift gears. Because it was in that area as well, and Brock Lesnar's not there. And WrestleMania felt like the moment to give Roman Reigns that championship. But because they didn't, they were just, they stalled the car. And it didn't restart until SummerSlam, where Roman Reigns won. And then, I can't remember if this is that, that the year where they then had to unfortunately give up the title. So it was quite unfortunate circumstances. But still, they stalled the car all summer. They, I don't know what happened behind the scenes at WrestleMania, but them deciding not to go with Roman Reigns was so confusing. And the fact that afterwards it was talked about as this uh, epic bloody f- uh, fight between the two of them. When you watch it, it's just a crowd rejecting something. And whatever they're doing isn't working, isn't connecting with them. It never wins them back, no matter what they do. They crap on it more and more, if anything. Which is kind of sad to see, obviously, because it's main event at WrestleMania and then giving them all into everything. It's like, but well, for me, it's equal to uh, Wrestle, uh, WrestleMania. It's equal to the Royal Rumble in that era where they were booing the match out of the buildings. Just for me, it's just sad because, like the most for me, the pinnacle of WWE is the main event at WrestleMania. In twenty eighteen, it was getting booed out of the arena. They were pissing about. They weren't paying attention. They didn't really care. They never won them back. And of course, I'd seen like the 2015 Rumble booed out the arena. 2014 Rumble booed out the arena. So that, that's my favourite match of the year. 
and I left it feeling down and sad, and I didn't like that. <laughs> so, and it wasn't a like down and sad of just like oh the person I didn't want to win didn't the person I wanted to win didn't win. It wasn't that. It was kind of just a disheartened like oh that was actually just bad, and fans have left it in a state of hmm that's not what that wasn't good. And it was the same thing here really, just that final note, just like uh. And to see it towed afterwards as if it was the epic class that they've been building it up. Again, it's Undertaker Great Carly all over again. <laughs> Immediately after Monday Night Raw going into the next things, all the way to Saudi Arabia, they brought it back again for SummerSlam. It was just touted as this epic clash between two giant forces. It was it was touted as the thing that they'd hyped it would be. Which in terms of like trying to resell you the pay-per-view after it's happened, that's not the worst marketing idea in the world. But it is jarring to anybody who watched it. It's just like, just reality not acknowledged at all in a really strange way. <laughs> like, I've never really, and I, I kind of, again, I understand in the marketing kind of world for it and keeping the hype train going, which is WWE's a kind of world where you can't think about the show that's just happened because you've got to move to the next one. Which in terms of like telling a story is a little bit difficult at times. Again, AW, like the model, four pay-per-views, you've got time for... This, you got t- time for the consequences to happen and then set up the next thing rather than WWE's oh no time for that you get one show if you're lucky then it's bang onto the next thing but still Bot Lesnar Roman Reigns was not the epic clash that it was hyped I guess first hyped up to be and then what well, it was acknowledged as by WWE this one is different in a way because it's got such a strong community that is against it in the I guess the WWE universe, <laughs> the online fans, or IWC, or the other terms that have been given over the years, that that yeah, they the overall consensus is that it was it was when I say fine, I just mean it wasn't the epic clash, and the general consensus is oh it was horrible, it was horrific uh, amongst a, a large section of people. Obviously, if you're an out and out WWE fan, there were a lot of people who really enjoyed this match. I, I was like, kudos to you. But I thought they made every wrong decision possible that did not win the count back. And what they were doing was never going to win them back and they crept all over it. And there's a reason for that. It's not just because they were always going to. There were things that the way the match played out had no chance of winning them back. But it was touted beforehand as this epic clash and it was talked about afterwards as this epic clash to then move on to Saudi Arabia to then move on to SummerSlam or whatever match they had in between. So yeah. And that's my final one of the eight. That's the most recent one that I picked. It's a, it's a weird one. Because either there was... Like, in terms of like the the main events or the big matches that WWE talked about that didn't deliver, in recent times, there's either been, not been that hype or it's been like medium hype or something. I guess Brock Lesnar being champion for so much of it has that effect where you don't have the like really incredibly hyped matches that often. Because there aren't as many. So it it doesn't quite happen. And of course, the rise of NXT, where a lot, again, Randy Orton Triple H is less likely to happen because NXT keeps bloody winning match of the year. <laughs> so that type of thing is not really going to repeat itself. And that era where WWE seemed to pick a match that the fans on the consensus would never pick, that's seemingly ended. Especially with the NXT's revival, where suddenly you've got uh, DIY versus the revival winning match of the year. Like, that wouldn't have happened in 2007. <laughs> but now, it, but ten years later, and the, the kind of consensus has reached a bit. The internet's not seen as this nerdy thing for nerd people. It's like, no, it's just 
it's a human right now and social media is like a massive part of society of the way we even function of people even knowing this show exists <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't know because of is if, yeah i'm drifting off anyway so they're my eight have you got any matches that wwe were talking about it being the greatest match ever but in actuality they were just all right they were fine even if before and after was a touting, it's the most amazing thing in the world. They gotta check this out. What happened? It was insane. And you're sat there just like, I mean, it was all right. <laughs> it wasn't anything crazy. Uh, all inspired by that moment at the end of Monday Night Raw where Edge and Randy Orton are staring each other down, and Tony Caruso is just like, this will be the most epic match in WWE history. It's like, oh, you're already etching your new. Etching your stone <laughs> in the in this list, <laughs> you will appear in part two of this. <laughs> Just the way you're hyping this up, oh, different because it's an empty arena match. A lot harder to judge. There's a lot more personal taste in these empty arena matches because you, you don't get a live immediate gauge. They're not playing off anybody. It's just you, really. Uh, yes, it's a Twitter response, but that's so all over the place. It's pretty difficult to gauge anyway. It's pretty like when something has a unanimous kind of decision. There's it's it has to be something pretty big, <laughs> or oh, pretty easy to determine. But yeah, we'll see. Anyway, thank you for listening to this. What were your WWE touted greatest matches ever that you thought were just all right or fine, or just found it odd that they were talking about how great it was afterwards when you were sat there like, wait, what? <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, there are more than eight. I came across quite a few. But this show is already like 50 minutes and I would have gone on for way too long. So anyway, uh, as I said earlier, this will be the final show on Spreaker. We are moving. If I'm right, we'll be on Spreaker for one more day for Friday and then Saturday the move happens. So we will be on Red Circle from then on. Uh, If you get on us via Twitter, I will continue to plug it there. The RSS feeds. So yeah, so really just tell me the move is happening. The RSS feeds should be working as normal for all shows. Uh, do hit me up uh, at the Damien Placat uh, if that is not the case. If it's not working for you, not showing up, do let me know. Uh, if I know if I if I'm right, Red Circle having a little bit of an issue with the most recent shows, but like once we upload them to Red Circle, there'll be no issue. <laughs> so because I'm directly uploading it, but uh, do let me know if the RSS feeds aren't quite working. Uh, but yeah, anyway, follow me on Twitter at the Damien Placat. Uh, if you do please also lots of pain youtube channel as well you can check that out too and that was the if you can probably remember the name of the thing that was wwe's greatest matches ever that were actually just all right and with that uh, please do check out the other nop radio shows uh, live after aw awf aw post show dynamite after dark as i burp during it bloody hell, i'll try that one again Live after AEW, our new AEW post-show, Dynamite After Dark with Jaman and Jeff. Yeah, I overdid it. <laughs> I had to compensate. Five <laughs> um, Days is the Legacy Series. Currently, it's Miss Fan and Mystic with WWF, the Legacy Series. Last week, doing Survivor Series 1987. Can't remember what he's doing this week. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, Saturday's result for is reserved for All Elite Wrestling, which will be next Saturday. They've got their pick. If I've done the maths correctly... Next Saturday will be AW Double or Nothing. I'll be covering it. I've forgotten to ask Jan. Of course, in America, it's like $50. For me, it's fifteen. It's like 14 quid. Like, yeah, I'm fine, fine to pay that. <laughs> in America, fifty over $50. <laughs> it's a proper, especially in like a lockdown world. That's a lot of money. Anyway, uh, Sunday's reserved for WWE Aftershock. 
uh, Tuesdays is Kingdom of Honor with Jaman and his friend Jeff talking Ring of Honor, New Japan, or whatever. Uh, also on the Lost of Pain YouTube channel, we've got the All Night Long Wrestling Podcast with exclusive interviews and wrestling jibber-jabber. And with that, I say thank you for listening. I'll be back this time next week on LP Radio, just not live. I'll be recorded from now on. Uh, wait, no, co- complete correction. I'll be live on YouTube. <laughs> so screw that. I'll be live on YouTube and I'll be doing the same thing for Aftershock as well. It will then be uploaded uh, as quickly as I can get it on a Red Circle for straight up podcast version. But it will be live on YouTube. So don't forget that. I'll hype it up beforehand. It'll be fine. It'll be on the Laws of Pain page. Uh, again, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Oh, I've not this bit's not in. I've edited this bit out. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's just end it off with the theme tune. With that, I say thank you for listening, and I bid you adieu. Adios. Ten.